Thank you for joining us for the Tucson Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Brent Armstrong. This podcast features the messages from the teaching and preaching ministry at our church. Tucson Baptist Church is located in Tucson, Arizona, and we are committed to loving God, growing together, and reaching our community. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit TucsonBaptist.com. We pray that today's message is an encouragement to you. Take your Bibles and go to 1 John chapter 5. If you did not receive a copy of the notes, our ushers will help you with that. Uh, several, several notes to take this morning that can help you, uh, maybe in your devotions this week, um, uh, be able to review the message. I am... I'm really excited about this morning's message. Uh, time, thought, prayer that's going into this message, it can be a help to all of us. Uh, many of you have commented about our new series of devotions this, this month, uh, or excuse me, over the last month. We're in a new month. Uh, many of you are reading on the app. Uh, we, we are so thankful for the hundreds and hundreds that have signed up for our app. And Pastor David gives me those statistics, and so many of you are following the devotions. But some of you, uh, you like the hardbound print, uh, printed copy, and we do have that available at guest services. And so the month of February, all of the devotions and memory verses and, um, and daily thoughts are there at the guest services. And so please get into the Word of God. And if you're not using our devotions, that's totally fine, but let's feed and have a meal every day from the Word of God. And we're here to try to help you with that. And so you can pick up your copy at guest services for the month of February if you would like a copy of our daily devotions. And, and uh, I thank you for your feedback. Uh, some of you have uh, been so encouraging. It does take quite a bit of time uh, to write a devotion for every day, um, but it is worth it all if we're reading and growing in our faith. First John chapter number five, we are, have been in this book for many months now. Are you tired of being in the same book? I hope not. We're going verse by verse, line by line, word by word, where necessary to try to understand God's word. Here's the advantage of that, is that I, I don't chase a rabbit trail and I don't become a topic-driven preacher, that I actually, wherever the word of God takes us, that's what we're speaking on that week. Today, we're going to be in first John chapter one, verses uh, excuse me, for, uh, chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, and we'll get there in just a moment. But I have to ask you old-timers if you'll remember this. How many of you remember that TV show, Father Knows Best? How many of you? All right, you just dated yourself. Uh, uh, Father Knows Best. Robert Young, he starred as the all-American dad in this widely popular comedy uh, that originated on radio in 1949. Uh, it, was, uh, it was moved to television in 1954 and ran until 1960. It was so popular that CBS continued uh, to air reruns for two more years, which during that time period was not common. The show was an after-school favorite sandwiched between Leave it to Beaver and The Rifleman. And Robert Young, he played Jim Anderson, who along with his wife Margaret, uh, they reared their three kids, Betty, Bud, and Kathy, in what we would refer to as an idealistic slice of Americana. In the world of television show, Father always knew best, and he was always confronted with situations, and he would give advice how to overcome that. You know, 
generally speaking, dads are always supposed to just know what to do. Uh, they're supposed to know how things work and how to fix and, uh, things when they get broken and how to even help mend relationships. That takes us to our text this morning. It's not about our earthly father, it's about our heavenly father. And I submit to you this morning that our heavenly father knows best. And let's read, you can stay seated, and um, you read verse 2 and verse 4, I'll read the odd verses. Together in 1 John chapter 5, whosoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. There was an issue in the Las Vegas uh, uh, Review Journal, and there was this contest that asked its readers to submit personal stories on Father's Day. And they asked their subscribers to complete this thought. The time my father did know best was, and then to complete that thought. Robert Thompson, he won the contest this year, uh, that this uh, contest was there in the Las Vegas Journal Review. And he wrote a short note about his dad, Henry Thompson. Here was his note. During an argument with my wife, Christy, she asked, no, she told me that I should talk to my dad and, about our problem. I was dead sure that he would side with me. After all, he was my dad. So I said, okay, sure, I'll go talk to him and abide by his advice. After going all over all the facts, trying very hard not to color my little speech, my dad, the one that has more horse sense than anyone I know, turned to me and said that I was wrong to go home, make up with Christy, and get on with my life. I know and have always known that if I needed him, he would be there, that I could depend on his wisdom to show me the way. I think of my earthly father. Uh, he often imparted wisdom to me and my two younger sisters through the years. Unfortunately, not all of us in this room this morning have had wise, caring fathers. And if all of you could look here for just a moment, everyone look here for just a moment, you'll miss this important part of the message before we ever get into it. If your view of our heavenly father is the view of an earthly father that perhaps has been abusive, it will skew, it will cause you not to listen to the message because often we equate our heavenly father with our earthly father. May I just talk about my heavenly father this morning? And let's set aside our view of our earthly father, whether it's a great view or whether you don't want anything in the world to do with your, your earthly father. You don't even like him. May I just tell you, there's a heavenly father that loves you. There's a heavenly father that wants to meet your needs. And so let's look at that this morning. And do not allow uh, a view of our heavenly father to be skewed by an unhealthy relationship that's taken place here in this earth. If you've been saved, 
you have a wise, compassionate, heavenly Father who wants the very best for your life. I wonder if you believe that. There is a wise, compassionate, heavenly Father that wants the very best for your life. In today's text, we'll continue our verse-by-verse study of 1 John and look at our Heavenly Father. My Heavenly Father truly knows best in three areas. And we'll look at that this morning. Number one here, my Father knows best. I am to act in love. My Heavenly Father knows best. And that is that I am to act in love. Notice our passage of scripture. There is a divine commandment given. That divine commandment says this. Love your brother. And these first verses in chapter 5 are a continuation of that last thought of chapter 4. The commandment that God has given us is that he who loveth God love his brother also. At the last supper as John leaned on Jesus' breast, the Lord said to John, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. Please note that John 13 verse 34 is a divine commandment, not a divine suggestion. There's a lot of us that we take what we like about the Word of God. We discard what we do not like. 1 John chapter 4, verse 12 says, No man has seen God at any time. So since God is a spirit, the invisible God can be seen in the love that our brothers and sisters have. The love that we as a Christian demonstrate to our brothers and sisters. So there's a divine commandment. Love your brother. It's, there's no ands, ifs, or buts about it. It's with an exclamation point. Love your brother. But then there's a human question. Who is my brother? So he says, love your brother. But I, I ask, who's my brother? Who's my sister? The believer must not only love God, but he must love his brother also. Who is that? In verse number one, John says that your brother is anyone that believeth That Jesus is the Christ who's born of God. Um, Your brother, your sister is the person who has the same confession of faith. And we became uh, part of God's family. We were born of God at salvation. With an amen. How many of you know that you know that you are saved? Amen. Amen. Um, Guess what? If you just said amen in your spirit or in your, uh, verbally, you are my brother and you're my sister in Christ. And therefore, everyone else who said amen, you're their brother or their sister. Brotherhood in God's family, it's not based on race, skin color, class, whether you're rich or poor, culture, uh, the way you were raised in West Virginia, the way you, way you were raised in China, the way, way you were raised in California. I'm here to tell you that it's not based on finances, that you have a lot of wealth or you have little wealth. I am so thankful that brotherhood is based on this, my confession of faith in Christ. And I know that you're my brother and sister in Christ because I trusted the same God that you trusted. Well, there's a biblical principle that goes along with this divine commandment. And after defining who's my brother, here is the principle. To love God is to love God's kids. To love God is to love God's kids. John says, everyone that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. Maybe we could translate this verse this way. Whoever loves the father also loves the father's children. And if you love God, you are commanded to love his 
children. We are all to love God's children, all believers. And notice that I'm being very specific. God's command is that we are to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. And how often, too often, many Christians think that God only smiles on their little group or their denomination. If we only love people who look like us and believe exactly what we believe, eventually we won't love too many people. It reminds me of uh, Tonto and the Lone Ranger. They were riding together in a canyon together when all of a sudden both sides of the canyon were filled with Indians and warriors on horses and they were dressed for battle. And then this episode, uh, Lone Ranger, he turned to Tonto and he asked him, what are we going to do? And Tonto replied, what do you mean we, white man? Uh, D.L. Moody, he said, there are two ways of being united. One is by being frozen together and the other is by being melted together. What Christians need, to, they need is to be united in brotherly love and then they can expect to have power. I agree with what Mr. Moody said. If we fail to love our brothers and sisters in Christ, we cut off any possibility of intimacy with God. You understand that if you do not love your brothers and sisters in Christ, your fellowship with God is broken. And if we're not acting in love toward other believers and we're not abiding in love with God, John said in chapter 4 and verse 20 that the, time, uh, that, that, that the one who says that he does not love his brother but he loves God, God says, you're a liar. We looked at that last week and that's from pretty harsh that's some pretty harsh um, directives from God for him to look at you and say, you're a liar if you say you love me and you don't love your brothers and sisters in Christ. May I just say, Satan loves to bring division among Christians. He's a master technician. And there's some of you right here this morning that Satan has infiltrated and you have allowed division to come into your life as a Christian. And Satan is laughing because of that. He knows so much about you. And he knows that if you're out of fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ, then you're out of fellowship with God. Guys, he tempts you to fight with your spouse because he knows what can happen. 1 Peter 3 and verse 7 says, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, as being heirs together in the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. We know we love God because we choose to act in love toward other believers. May I just say this morning, Christianity is not a solo sport. It is not a solo sport. That's why you need each other. That's why we need uh, believers to be a part of our life. That's why we need friendships and connection and fellowship in the church house. Someone will say this morning, I love God, but I don't care much for the establishment of the church. May I just tell you, there is something wrong with you if that's your thinking. I say that lovingly and I say that kindly because Jesus Christ died for what? The church. He died for the church. And you say, I don't have much use for the establishment of the church. The real church is not an establishment. The real church is the loving fellowship of brothers and sisters in God's family. And you cannot be pro-Christ and anti-church. You can't. Uh, how do you know that you love golf? You play golf. How do you know you love reading? You read. How do you know that you love ice cream? You eat it. Uh, how do you know you love God? 
you love his people. And we measure our love for God by our love for his children. And God has ordained that our love for him be tested by our love for other people. And God, he strategically, he places people in your path that are sometimes hard to love. And I think that that's why he puts some of the crazy drivers in Tucson around me. (laughs) Or maybe I'm the crazy driver, I don't know. But sometimes life is not going to be perfect. Our faith has to become real. Faith is the victory. We don't have to like them, but we do have to love them. And, and, And God says that we are to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. I am to love. Can we say that together? Personalize it. I am to love. Well, my Heavenly Father also knows best in a second area of life. And that is this, I'm to act in obedience. I am to act in obedience. In verse number 2 of 1 John chapter number 5, we see the test of love is obeying God's commandments. The test is to obey God's commandments. In verse number 1, we learn that we know we love God when we love his children. In verse number 2, we learn that we know that we love the children of God when we keep his commandments. It's a, this is circular logic. Obedience is the proof that I love God. Uh, How are you doing on that? There's a song that we used to sing all the way back when I was a child. Obedience is the very best way to show that I believe. And then you'd spell out the word obedience. Obedience is the very best way to show that I believe in God. And when you obey God in relationship to God's children, you love them. And this demonstrates that you truly love God and that you have intimacy with God. His command is to obey. Is, and in that command is that we act in love toward one another. God has so designed this life that until Christians decide to love one another, they'll never have intimacy with God. Why doesn't God answer my prayer? Because your fellowship has been broken because you hate this brother or sister in Christ. If you want to be close to God, don't bounce around from church to church without making a commitment. Find a biblical fellowship of believers. Commit to them in love with your life. Love takes on the initiative. Biblical love looks uh, for a way to involve itself in the lives of other people. May I just say this morning, please listen to this thought. I cannot have intimacy with God unless I love you. I cannot have intimacy with God unless I, as Bryn Armstrong, love you. And you could say that same thing about everyone else in the church. We must love God. One another. Now, do we have EGRs in our life? Do you know what an EGR is? I preached a whole message about that. Anyone remember that message? Oh, that's really great. <laughs> I preached that message, got some very positive feedback, and I started getting a list of EGRs that were in other people's lives. EGR stands for extra grace required. And there are people in our life that extra grace is required, but you still have to love them. And that's the command. EGRs. Who's an EGR in your life? Love them. That's the command. Uh, my name is obviously Brent Armstrong. My father's name was David Marlis Armstrong. My relationship, I am his son. His blood courses through my veins. I have a genetic code. Nothing can change the fact, DNA-wise, that I am his son. Nothing can change that. 
However, I have learned very early in life that I did not obey my father. I would lose fellowship with him. And as long as I did what he asked me to do and as he instructed me to do, uh, we had a great time as father and son. However, I learned that when I disobeyed, harmony was broken. Nothing could change my relationship as a son, but disobedience could change my fellowship with my father. May I say, so it is with our heavenly father. If you've trusted Christ, no one can take away the relationship. You've been adopted. His DNA is in you. But when I sin and I fail to love my brothers and sisters in Christ, my fellowship with God is broken. So obeying God's commandment, I, I, it's, it's really not that hard. And sometimes we choose not to do it out of disobedience. But he says in verse number three, God says, God's commandments are not grievous. That means they're not difficult. Grievous means burdensome, heavy, weighty. God never meant our obedience to be a weight around our necks. If you think obeying God is grievous or hard, you have misunderstood this message and you need to mature in your faith. When I was growing up, I thought, no, I know my parents were strict. And they, they demanded my best in school. Uh, they required me to do chores around the house. And sometimes we'd even get an allowance, 10 cents, for doing a chore like making up our bed. Uh, they made me to go to bed at a certain time. The cell phone had not been invented. And so, he, and so we had to listen to the radio at nighttime. Uh, we didn't have a television in our home growing up until, until the Olympics came in 1980 when my dad wanted to watch hockey. Uh, I, my parents were awfully strict. They were horrible. <laughs> I hope my mother's not watching today. As a, kid, as, a, as a kid growing up in the Armstrong family, I thought, man, they have robbed and zapped me at fun. My friends had color TV, and we had a black and white. I still cannot believe my dad bought an eight-inch black and white television as the first television in our home to watch hockey. There is no way he could have ever seen all that hockey puck in that eight-inch black and white television. But now as an adult, I look back and... I know how much my mom and dad really loved me. And they were putting protective fences and guidelines in my life so that when I grew up that I would be able to have fellowship and understand what that fellowship is. And I, as I matured, I understood that their strictness was really love. And because they loved me, they put in some rules and guidelines to protect me. And the discipline was meant to correct me so that I would make wise decisions. And everything they did, um, I hope, was in love. That was the intended result. However, I had to grow up before I could understand that. In other words, maturity taught me that, that father knew what was best. And, and sometimes there are teenagers here that are chafe under the parents' instruction because you know better than what my mom and dad know. May I just tell you, when you get in your 20s and early 30s, you're going to find out how smart your mom and dad really were. Listen, teenagers. You're also going to find out how foolish you were in some of the attitudes that you had toward your mom and dad. My parents did know better than I knew. 
And when you mature in your understanding of God's love for you, you don't struggle with what he wants you to do because you realize that he obviously has my best interest at heart. God has nothing to gain by making you miserable. And I, I'm just amazed that sometimes that there are Christians that believe that, that it's only if I'm living a miserable life that then I'm right with God. God wants the best for your life. He wants, the, he wants you to be happy and fulfilled. But oftentimes our fellowship has been severed and broken because I'm not willing to obey him. Some are miserable because they've spent so much time fighting God that they've never learned the joy of obedience. And the key to a closer walk with God is not speaking in tongues or attending a spiritual retreat or getting a seminary degree or uh, living on a mountain in Tibet. The key is having intimate, close fellowship by obeying my heavenly father. J. Stuart Holden, he wrote of being shown through a large factory where hundreds of looms were spinning very fine linen thread. And the manager of the mill, he said this, so delicate is this machinery that if a single thread of the entire 30,000 break, that the entire loom will stop. And he stepped up to one of the machines and he showed Mr. Holden and he broke one thread and suddenly the entire loom was still. Until that thread was rejoined. I read that story and thinking about this message. In the same way, it is through one act of disobedience that the entire loom is shut down. Think about that. One act of disobedience. The thread is severed. Fellowship is broken. The courses of my event and life are altered. And not until that thread is rejoined, there's a confession of sin, a forsaking of that sin, that the joy of the Lord begins to flow again through my life and the loom begins to work it is as it is intended. And there are some of us that we've allowed one single sin to break the joy of having intimate fellowship with God. Oh, I want to challenge you. Obey Him. I am to act in love. I am to act in in obedience. And my father knows best in a third way, and that is that I am to act in faith. I am to act in faith. All of God's children are to be overcomers. Faith is the victory. All of God's children are to be overcomers. And these last two verses, are one of the most powerful principles in all of the Bible, and that is if you will apply what you are about to learn, the principle will literally change your life. And here's what will happen. It will set you free. In verses 4 and 5, we see this word overcometh three times. Mentioned twice in verse number 4 and once uh, in verse number five, as believers born of God, we are right now overcoming the world because we've already overcome it. Overcome it means to conquer, prevail, to gain victory. And why does the world need to be overcome? The world system wants to overcome you. It wants to uh, encompass you like a tidal wave of, of sewage. And it wants to take away your joy. It wants to rob you. The unsaved world does not want you to have joy. It does not want you to have happiness. It does not want you to have blessing. And many times we are too willing to allow the sewage uh, of sin to come into our life, to pervade our life, to rob us of God's power and provision and purpose. The world wants to keep you from abiding in Christ and maturing as a believer. May I just say, the world wants to destroy your spiritual life. And we are far too accommodating. Sadly, 
Most Christians don't understand or don't believe that they have already overcome the world. And we don't have to look for victory because the victory's already been won and it was won at Calvary. When Jesus died and rose again, he overcame the enemy. He broke the power of sin. The empty tomb is a sign of that victory. And when you were born of God, the spirit of Christ came to live within you. And the mind of Christ was made available to you. And the power of Christ was made available to you. And the winner of this cosmic battle is within you because you're a winner. You're a winner. And you're a winner because of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of God that was given and lives within you we got to start living like that as Christians. I am a winner because of what Jesus Christ has accomplished. Victory is mine through Christ. But sometimes we live through the doldrums of life and we're the unhappiest people in all the world and it shows in our face, it shows in our body, past, body posture. And um, folks, faith is the victory that overcomes this world. And sometimes... We don't want to be free from that bondage. And may I just say, our faith frees us from bondage. Bondage to sin. Bondage to past memories. Bondage to a, a past uh, relationship that's, uh, that's keeping us from serving him now. Our belief always determines our behavior. Our belief always determines our behavior. And if you believe you are, uh, if you believe you are who the Bible says you are, you can have victory. John says this, this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. You might ask, if faith is the victory, why do I feel so overcome? As a, I read as as a boy about the setup and work necessary for the circus to come to town. And many of us, we've been to a circus. The handlers would use the massive strength of the elephants to put up the great big tents. And what was amazing was that the same massive beasts that could set up the tents and set up the great big three poles and pull uh, uh, all of the canvas and everything that was necessary for all the wires to be set up so that that tent could be uh, for all of the hundreds and hundreds of spectators that would come through. That same massive, massive elephant. They would put an 18-inch spike with a chain and put it in the ground. And that elephant even though it has one of the strongest minds in all of animal kingdom, that elephant would believe that he couldn't go anywhere because he was imprisoned as a baby with an 18-inch spike and he believed he could never break, break free. There are some of us who are living that way. Our belief system is that we are trapped and we can never break free. May I just encourage you, faith is the victory. You can break free. Um, uh, Christ has already given you the power to break those chains away, but you continue to be staked with an 18-inch stake, believing that you can't do anything. The reason we have addictions and bad habits and poor self-image is because we've been chained to an old way of thought. However, the truth is this. Faith brings freedom. We're not living that way. Remember when David faced Goliath? The story is told in, in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Saul, he was armed with swords and unbelief. David, he was armed with a sling and, some, uh, and a few stones. And, and by the way, God gave him the victory because David had faith. Faith is the victory. Many Christians, they'll say this. I need more faith. Uh, people sometimes say to me, Pastor, if I just had your faith, uh, we already have all the faith we need. Pull the stake out of the ground. 
Quit being trapped by the the prison of a past experience. The Bible says in verse 5, He that overcometh the world is he that believeth. Do you believe this morning? What you believe about yourself determines your behavior. In a few moments, you will go out to the parking lot. You're going to put a key into the ignition switch. If you do not turn that switch, the ignition will not start the motor and you're not going to go anywhere. Faith is the ignition switch, but God's power is that motor that's in your vehicle. And if you are born of God, you already have all the faith and you already have all the power that you need. And the reason that you are not going anywhere spiritually in your spiritual life, the reason the world is overcoming you is not because you've not turned over the ignition. You sit behind the wheel. You wonder why you're at a standstill. May I just tell you, turn the key. Pull out the stake. It's time that you quit being in prison with a past sin, a past bad experience with a person, a relationship that is sour, a difficult situation health-wise. You're wondering, where is God? May I just say, faith is the victory. What are you being imprisoned by this morning? What is causing you to live a defeated life? Why don't you have enthusiasm and love for your brothers. Very quickly, let's review. My father knows best in three ways. You have your notes there. My father knows best in three ways. Number one, I am to? I'm to love. Number two, I am to? Act in obedience. Number three, I? And I understand that faith is necessary if I'm going to live a successful life. God wants you to be successful. God wants you to live a life free from sin. God wants you to enjoy this world. Do you know God wants to bless you? But we do not allow that because we do not have relationship. If you've never trusted Christ, you do not have relationship. Today would be the best day in all the world to trust Christ. We would love to show you and take God's word and show you how you can make that most important decision. For the vast majority of you that are here this morning, those who are watching by live stream, you have relationship, but you've allowed your fellowship to be severed by focusing your life on yourself, a sin, disregarding authority in your life. And you have allowed fellowship to be severed. May I encourage you this morning? Let's reestablish that connection with our Lord. Let's reconnection, uh, establish that reconnection of fellowship and also with one another.